Welcome back to the Swim Swam Breakdown. I am your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. It looks like we're all in either at least different locations than normal. We're joined by Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief, Braden Keith, who I believe is in Philadelphia still, but in a different space. I, I, I'm on the second floor instead of the fourth floor. <laughs> Ooh. Big moves. And, Big moves. and joined by Yin Yin Lee from Evanston, Illinois, where she is at Northwestern. What's up, Ooh. guys? How's it going? Go Cats. I do, go I, Cats. What do we do? Go Cats. <laughs> is this right? Yeah. Go Cats. I've missed uh, being on this podcast. It's been a while. Uh, Union, has anybody identified you on campus yet and said, oh my God, that's Union from Swim Swim? No, I ran into a few swimmers that I've recognized because I've written about them before. But other than that, no, no one's recognized me. I, I feel like at some point, one of your professors is going to have you up in front of the class, like giving a lecture, because you must have more experience than everybody else in your journalism. Classes. No, no. I know people like I know someone that like wrote for the L.A. L.A. Daily News and like she won like California. Like she, that sounds fake. No, it's literally like the newspaper below the L.A. Times. And like she is yeah. bylines in the O.C. register. So like there's a lot of people like that. Okay. Wow. Union, don't downplay yourself. You're going to start getting recognized soon. I've been through this process before. The whole ordeal. <clears throat> People are going to want your autograph. They're going to want to take pictures with you with pancakes. It's the whole thing. Pictures <laughs> and pancakes. <laughs> you know how everybody has a nose piercing now? That's Coleman. That's all Coleman. <laughs> so, that's, it's called the swim swam trickle down. Yeah. You'll see. No. All right, we've we've got stuff to talk about. It's this has been like the weirdest I feel like 16 months of swimming because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the trickle down of giant meets that have happened this year alone, including the Asian Games, which we are uh, two thirds of the way through at this point. Um, let's start with what I think has been the most significant swim so far, which is Wang Shun's. Uh, 154, 62, 200 IM. We saw him get 11th at World Championships just a couple months ago, where China had a really great meet overall, but it seems like they have really saved up for this meet um, where they're swimming sensationally. Do we think Wang Shun's 2 IM is, is going to position him to challenge Mr. Marchand at the Paris 2024 Olympics? I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of the swimmers um, who are swimming great this week are actually not just from China, but they're from Zhejiang, which is where the meet is being hosted. So there's kind of an extra layer like uh, Chin Haiyang is not from Zhejiang, and that's why he was rested for Worlds more, probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I you know, after 154.62, I think it's inevitable. We can't say he's not going to push Leong, right? Like, we can't just say he's not going to push him. Um, I think the difference is that Leon can go 154. Leon, are we calling him Leon or Leon? <laughs> where's Ann Lepazama when we need her? <laughs> um, I think I think he he could he could be not at his best and still go 154. I think Wang's got one 154 in him for next year. And if he hits that at the right moment, if his taper is perfect, which it seems to be this week, um, he's there. But I think we also got to remember Leon is clearly on the upswing of his career. Um, we can no longer say that Wang is on the downswing of his career per se, 
but he's going to be 30 next year at the Olympics. Um, and Leon's going to be swimming in front of a home crowd. And, you know, I, I, that definitely matters. There's going to be a crowd in the building this time. There wasn't really in Tokyo. Um, so I, I think it would be foolish to say he can't push him, challenge him, whatever. Um, but I think Leon's still the favorite in spite of his time being slower than Wang's. Can Wang push him? Absolutely. But you've also got to think about the age factor, the home crowd factor, the way this race is going to play out. Because, first of all, Wang Chun is in his home province in China, racing without semifinals, which I think benefits older swimmers like him. And also, the way this race is going to play out, most likely, Leon's going to be ahead of Wang at the 150-meter mark because his breaststroke is phenomenal, and Wang usually like pushes the last 50 of his race. Is Wang Chun... Gonna a 30-year-old Wing Chun gonna be able to run down Leon Marchand in front of his home crowd when Leon's on this upward trajectory in his career and Wang probably has to deal with more, I don't want to say setbacks, but more difficulties towards this path to Paris Gold than Leon does. I I think that all of these factors make Leon the favorite. And as Braden said, Will he be a threat to Leon's chances at gold? Absolutely. Is Leon going to run away with this race? No, but I still think with all the factors being considered, Leon is still the favorite. Is there anybody else in this race? I mean, we assume Michael Andrews more or less done with it. Um, he was in that stratosphere. Duncan Scott is is a very good 200 IMer, but Carson Foster, one, one, 155. Yeah, I mean, Maybe Shane Casas. Shane is technically... yeah. Yeah. time-wise there um yeah and those guys all have that ceiling but they yeah. haven't gotten there right yeah. or they uh, like haven't gotten it done at a big meet like shane right right agreed and i i think a couple more points one thing in wong's favor uh i assume this might be the only event he focuses on um as opposed to leon who's, get, who's gonna have a much bigger schedule however the 400 IM is first in the meet. And I think if, if Leon just gets the momentum rolling early for himself in this meet and wins a gold medal, breaks a world record, whatever in the 400 IM, then like, it's going to be a little bit harder to, to stop that train. Um, because I think it is a lot of pressure to perform at a home Olympics, but like if you start off well, then it's like, okay, it, it looks pretty good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You want to know what's interesting to me? The fact that we haven't had a home Olympic swimming superstar necessarily since Ian Thorpe in Australia. We've had people who were favored at their home Olympics, like Rebecca Adlington in 2012, but I don't think we've necessarily had someone who's been like the star of an Olympic Games in their home country since Ian. Maybe Yuri Ohashi last year in Japan, but there also wasn't really a yeah. home crowd for that. But she yeah. wasn't really so that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. That yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> I have so many like long term articles like piling up right now. <laughs> Drop out of school, write more articles. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if we haven't had someone expected to like be a superstar at their home game since Ian Thorpe. Panzan Lee drops a 46.9 in the 100 meter freestyle. He's a 10th off David Popovich's world record. 
he was disappointed because he was shooting for the world record, which I, in theory, he could have a chance to still get leading off the uh, men's foreign free relay later in the meet. So now we've got four very real contenders in this hunter freestyle, at least, right? We have Chalmers, defending world champion, Popovich, world record holder, Caleb Dressel. We'll see if he's on form, but he's defending Olympic champion, Panzan Lee, now Asian Games champion and fifth fastest performer of all time, but within a tenth of the world record as of two or three days ago. What do we think of this, how this race is lining up um, heading into the Paris Olympics? And and who do we have as a uh, potential favorite right now? I'm so excited about the Paris Olympics. There's so many races like this. I, ho- I hope everybody listening knows goes back and watches this clip on YouTube because Coleman's making great faces. Um, there's so many good races like this that I'm just like hyped about. Um, this one, it comes down to consistency, right? Chalmers is clearly the most consistent. I, you know, until we see Caleb back, it is what it is, right? Anybody's guess is as good as anybody else's until we see it from him. Um, so I'm, I'm ruling him out. Chalmers is consistent, right? We can count on him to be there 47-1, Han and Popovich could be anywhere from 46-5 to 47-5. So that's, that's kind of like the wild card factor here. Um, so, you know, if I'm, if I'm putting real money on it, I'm taking Chalmers. I'm taking the, the safe bet, Mr. Consistency. Um, Popovich, we don't know. We don't know if last year was an anomaly. We don't know if it was the, the training change that they made. We don't know if he was just not that concerned about worlds and was focused on the Olympics. Um, so we don't, there's, there's just like so much unknown here. Um, it's, it's a, it's an impossible race to pick, right? Like, if I'm putting money on it, I'm taking Chalmers. If I'm not putting money on it and I'm just sort of writing an article, I'm probably taking Pan at this point. Yeah, it's interesting to me because a year ago, we all thought that David Popovich would be the hands-down favorite to win this in Paris, even with the likes of Dressel and Chalmers. But now we've got Pan, who most people have at least most of the swimming world didn't know who he was before 2022 worlds. And now he's one of the main contenders. So it sort of goes to show how quickly things can change. So it's never a good idea to pigeonhole someone as a favorite, but I agree that Chalmers is the safe bet to win because when you think about it, all the other main contenders, they sort of have to get through this barrier or prove something in order to win because you've got Dressel who's like in his first assuming he qualifies for the Olympics this is going to be his first senior international meet since he dropped out of worlds and took this big break Popovich and Han sort of have to prove that they can get things done on the biggest stage when it matters the most because neither of them have set their set a best time at have set their best time at a world championship meet so they kind of have this pressure and also both of them are relatively young whereas if Chalmers wins it's gonna be like oh he's been there before and another really interesting thing about this race is the way they pace it because people like Penn and Dressel and even Jack Jack Alexi they go out really fast whereas Chalmers and Popovich they're more closers they sort of you're almost even split the race. So I think that will be very interesting. 
Well, and you talk about barriers. There's there's a literal physical barrier, right? We heard this when Popovich was kind of coming up. He's not as big as some of these other guys, and he deals with the wake. Chalmers is the biggest of these guys, right? Um, you know, I've I've not seen them all lined up side by side by side, but it's it, Chalmers and Dressel are the two big guys in this in this group. Um, and head to head, I think that pays that makes a difference, especially for those guys trying to come back on the backhand, um, going through that wake on the turn. That's that's a tough way to come back on on somebody. It is, and I it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, Dressel, Pan, Popovich all kind of had their ups and downs over the last few years, but uh, Kyle Chalmers, since he won Olympic gold in 2016, unless he's like missed a major meet because he's having open heart surgery or shoulder issues, he's performed. Like every time he's on a big stage, like he delivers. Uh, And I think that is just one more kind of thing in his favor. And Australia is going to have momentum. Right. We, we expect Australia to be momentum. swimming really well. And, and that momentum, as much as I think everybody in swimming hates to admit it, that races aren't swum in isolation, it matters. Let's take a break from the Asian Games. We have a couple more topics that we're going to circle back around to. But let's talk about our favorite thing, college swimming. Uh, we'll start with the good, at, which, which is highlighted by the ASU-UGA dual meet, where Arizona State came out swinging especially freshman Ilya Karun, who not only dropped a 140 in the tuner fly and a 19.550 fly split on the tuner medley relay, he also broke an Arizona State school record, 44.9 in the 100-yard fly. Do we think that the addition of Ilya Karun and the other freshmen in ASU's class will be enough to put them over the defending champs Cal and get Arizona State their first NCAA team title? (laughs) <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. I don't hope so. Um, I It's it's tough, right? Because Cal also has a very good freshman class. And they're coming out of the summer with Dari Rose and Jack Alexi feeling themselves, feeling good. Um, I think there is a wrinkle here. Not that, well, I don't know. As I say this, maybe it doesn't make sense. Dave Durden is sort of famous for prioritizing long course meets over short course meets among relevant swimmers. But I guess Bob Bowman kind of is too. Um, although I don't know if we've seen that from Bowman as much as at the college level. Like I, I fully expect a bunch of Cal swimmers to miss the Pac-12 championships, right? I expect a, a bunch of them to go to Worlds, skip Pac-12s, and and swim straight through to NCAA's. Um, mm, interesting. So like go to Worlds. Well, okay. Yeah. So well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Or or a pro swim, or you know, Chicago. Just, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we've seen that to happen, happen before with Cal. Um, and I think that impacts your team's psyche. You know, I don't think, I know Cal has a very unique culture with that stuff where it's, you know, it's all about the best thing you can do for your team is make sure you're ready. Um, so if any team can sort of overcome that, I think it's them culturally, but, you know, I think that matters. Um, you know, if Peter Coetzee was at Cal this year, I think they win for sure. Without him, I, it's it feels like a toss-up right now, but Cal also has a very good freshman class, and they've had freshmen contribute big at NCAAs before. Um, so, you know, this one might come down to how the different teams manage their seasons with long course and short course, which is sort of a once-every-four-years unique challenge. 
it's interesting because speaking of motivation, Leon Marchand, the reason why he came back to ASU this year was to win a team national championship. That was his motivation for coming back. So he can he could easily have gone pro and bask in his Louis Vuitton sponsorships and capitalize off of being pro in before his home Olympics. But he came back here to win a national title. And I think after they missed out last year and and won Pac-12, that's going to be on their on their mind more, ASU. But when it comes to math, Cal beat ASU by 52 points. I wrote about this in uh, the power rankings. And Reese Whitley, Hugo Gonzalez, and Lucas Henmo, they combined for 81 points. And Grant House, who's one of uh, ASU's biggest losses, scored 30 points. So think they're about even. So it really comes down to the freshman classes and the, in- the incoming classes and how much they can contribute. And I think Ilya Karun definitely, but we also have to remember that ASU is really good at developing freshmen who may have not been big names coming in compared to Cal's freshman class, but they can develop. And it's it's not just Ilya Karun. They have a Canadian freshman, Philip Sank uh, Samardzik, who goes 52 in the 100 fly and 49 in the 100 free in long course. Those are some pretty good times for a freshman. And then they've got Jack Schuster, who took a gap year, and he, he's a controversial, but a 20-year-old freshman who goes 19-6, 43-1 in the 50 and 100 free. So they've got a good freshman class. It's just that we may have not have heard of some of these names before because they're not top 20 domestic recruits like what Cal has. But I think their class with Karun obviously carrying a lot of weight can outscore Cal's freshman class in the freshman year. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that puts ASU on top. But you don't think Keaton Jones is scoring in at NCAAs, Roman Jones? I mean, I think they'll the score class, at NCAAs, but not think. as much as Ilya Karun and ASU. Aaron Shackle. Um, oh, God, I forgot about Aaron Shackle. Rob Alexi. If Rob Alexi does what his brother did, Sam Quarles, who used to work for Swim Swam for about 10 minutes. Um, really? Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like they have, I mean, Cal's. Like, yeah, Arizona State has a very good class, and the names, I agree that the names probably aren't as big as the Cal names, but Cal has some names in that class. I mean, the the, the names are names for a reason. The most annoying part about this, this argument is that, like, they both start their ways in the most them ways. So, like, ASU came out swinging. They're like, oh, <laughs> freshmen's breaking school records. Like, we're looking good. And then Cal like doesn't even bring half their swimmers to their first dual meet of the year and like looks very, you know, just normal. And it's just like, God, can you just show us what's happening already? And, you know, we know that cat that is not Cal's way. And we know that Arizona state's philosophy is more of a swim fast all year kind of thing. So I think this is one of the things ruining the marketability of college swimming, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) Yeah, and we also have to remember that Cal has won three straight NCAA titles, so they couldn't care less about anything else because they just keep winning the titles. Yeah, I think ASU had never won a Pac-12 title before. Now they have, and they're also on a very 
very limited timetable. Not that they can't develop other swimmers. We've seen them develop a lot, but I think Leon's gone after this year. So it's like their time is now. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But speaking of ruining the marketability of college swimming, <laughs> let's what talk about hazing. <laughs> uh, you know, it, two two big headlines in the last week. Boston College indefinitely suspends swim and dive program for hazing. And Texas A&M men's swimmers suspended for fall semester over hazing incident. The question is, is, is hazing a serious problem in college swimming and will it ruin college swimming? I think it's a real problem. You know, the, the, the initial reaction from anybody around BC is that BC has been trying to cut the swimming program for a decade. They don't want the swimming program. They're done with it. They built a pool that's not made for a swimming program or, a, you know, a power five swimming and diving program. Um, and my response is, yeah, but they couldn't do it for nine, the first nine years. And now they're going to, right? I, I, to me, it, it bar something really embarrassing comes out, like this was all fake and made up, um, which the only people who seem to believe that are parents of Boston College swimmers. Um, and it seems inevitable that the program's going to go away. It was not a well-supported and well-funded program to begin with. This is definitely good. The suspension is going to hurt the recruiting. So all the momentum that I have right now is, is stopped. So whether it's now or whether it's in a few years, like this, this is not good for BC swimming. Um, and I think the real problem is it always, everything, especially in college swimming comes back to culture. Um, you know, and coaches can say, I didn't know about it. I didn't know about it, but you know, the culture of your team um, and you have to work on that culture. Every coach who's done anything in swimming knows how to work the culture of on the culture of their team. And this needs to be part of that conversation because, you know, the reaction to this, we see it from male college swimmers. We see it in our DMs. We see it in our email. We see it in the comments. They think hazing is not a problem. Um, and it clearly is. Everybody, everybody who gets out of it, we've, we've, we, you know, we ask for people's hazing stories and we ask them how they felt about it then, how they feel about it now. And it's clear that everybody we've heard from, or almost everybody we've heard from still carries some like adulthood trauma. You know, we heard from a lot of people who said, I quit swimming because the hazing experience was terrible or half of my class. We had this really awful hazing experience and half of my class quit after their freshman year. Um, but I think there's still a huge portion of college swimming who will say, good, we didn't need them on the team. They were soft. Um, and that's, again, you can't say, oh, half of my freshman team needs to quit and say that it's good for swimming. You can, you can say whatever you want. Oh, it bonded us. Those who survived will be champions, all that nonsense. But like making half of the college swimmers quit is not good for swimming. Um, so this is a real problem. And as some, several people have said to me, texted me, tweeted at me, if you're a swim coach in the last week and you haven't had a conversation with your athletes about this, then you're not doing your job. You're you're being negligent if you haven't at least had a conversation about it because they've all seen it. They've all been reading about it. And again, Coleman, you know this, especially the boys. I you know I don't want to make it sound like women don't have hazing because they do. We've seen it. Um, but the the young men need guidance in this area. I've been on a team. There was hazing on the team I was on. Um, and it's, it's one upsmanship. Everybody's trying to do it one bigger than the year before. 
it spirals until somebody intervenes. Um, and so if you're a coach, this is, this is a platform to intervene. This is your moment to intervene and have the conversation with your athletes and stop it wherever it is right now. And it, it's probably there, whether they know it or not, it's probably there. One quick note on that. Uh, if you want to listen to a very insightful take on building team culture, I would recommend uh, new Kentucky head coach Brett Lungard's podcast with Swim Swim because he basically lays out his plan of how he intends to impact that swim team's culture uh, in his first year in Lexington. And I, I personally just thought it was very insightful and very responsible. Like he, he is worried about where his team is at and he is taking the necessary steps to make sure that the culture is there before the, the swimming performance or, or how in shape his athletes are. Um, and I, I was, I was very impressed by, by his insight, but yin yin to you. Yeah. Unlike Britton and Coleman, I've never had an experience being on a swim team. So I don't have a first hand. So I don't, you necessarily did swim that one meet like, that one time. <laughs> where I think I went like a minute in the 53. But yeah. anyways, I think even from an outsider's perspective, I think hazing is very prevalent, not just in swimming, but across all sports. Just look at what's going, what happened with Northwestern football over the summer. And, and honestly, not even sports, but when you're in a group setting where there's a lot of forced proximity, I feel like, there's a sort of mob mentality that comes out and it's something that leaders of a group or an organization have to be aware of. So even, even if you're a swim coach and you don't necessarily believe that your team is going to be like an environment for hazing, you still have to make your swimmers aware of it and educate them because if it's not a problem now, it could arise given the circumstances of just being on a team and there definitely has to be a lot of effort from team captains from coaches to erase this sort of culture that's so prevalent and there also needs to be a fine line that's drawn between traditions and hazing because a lot of people could think oh this is not hazing because it's just a team tradition but is this tradition hurting people all right and that is it for college swimming now Time to play our favorite game on the Swim Swim Breakdown, Sink or Swim. First up today on Sink or Swim, we're going back to the Asian game. Shaban Howie has taken double gold in 100 and 200 freestyle. She is the defending Olympic silver medalist in both those events. I am curious, next year in Paris, do you think she can upgrade in either to gold? I'm going to swink it, stink it. I think Molly O'Callaghan and the swink. Swink swink. Um, <laughs> I think Molly O'Callaghan and the Australian women have too much momentum. They're too good right now. Um, Siobhan still has consistency issues. Um, so I'm going to sink it. Oh, no, I didn't say she's winning gold. I just think she's more consistent than you're giving her credit for. And she was also injured last year, so... I think she would have won the 200 free if she was at Worlds last year. She was coming in as favorite. But anyways, I am going to sink it as well, especially in the 200 free. I don't see her winning that, especially considering that the winning time was over a second faster than her personal best this year. 
And even the in the 100 free, she definitely has a better shot in that event just because it's closer, but she's definitely not the one with momentum right now. Currently, that's Molly O'Callaghan, maybe Sarah Schoistrom. And it, it's just so competitive. I feel like I can't really say she's winning gold when she's not the favorite. I don't know. It's it just seems like a really hot take right now. And I'm not I'm not willing to risk enough to make it right now. I feel like Coleman's gonna say swim though. He's definitely swim. gonna say swim. <laughs> I'm swimming. <laughs> yeah. Uh let's do it, you know. I think I think she can I I think the hundred free is a uh is kind of a crapshoot at this point. Malio was fifty two one to win worlds. Shaban was 52-3, I think, to win Asian games. 52-1. Like, she went 52-1? Yeah. She was 1-100th of a second off of Molly's world winning time. But Molly went faster leading off a relay. So, you know, I think it will take a 51 to win that event in Paris. And I think Shaban is capable of that. So I'm going to give it to her. Because why not? at this point why not next up sticking with the asian games uh the china's men's foreigner medley relay was 327.0 uh which was a sensational relay and i am curious if you think them or the u.s in paris next year well and it's it's interesting looking at the u.s relay because they got better on the breaststroke leg um from tokyo to fukuoka they found an equal on the freestyle leg from Tokyo to Fukuoka and Jack Lexi. Um, an equal with upside, I guess I'd say. Um, and what do we, what do we have? Butterfly. Butterfly is the leg, right? It's it's how much of his speed can Murphy hold on to at this point of his career, and it's can Dressel come back? I think if Dressel comes back in any version of his prior self, even if it's not forty nine zero, if it's forty nine five the Americans will win. Um, and, and I think it comes down to that. If if Thomas Heilman or Dari Rose can go 49-5, I think the Americans win. Um, I think a 50-point won't get it done for the Americans in Paris. So to me, that's what it comes down to. Um, I think I think I'm still going to take the Americans, right? They always win this race. Um, they They've never lost it at the Olympics, right? Is that correct? Yeah, they haven't lost at the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think you gotta you gotta take that history. And for some reason the US always has it at the end of the meet where everybody else doesn't always have it at the end of the meet. Um, but you know, I think for now I'm gonna swim the USA and sink China. Is that the right answer? <laughs> I think yeah, that's the right answer. Okay. I am going to swim China because mm. I think the only way the U.S. is winning this relay next year is if Dressel is back in 49.04. Because I said this yesterday in a tweet, but 49.0 Dressel on a world record relay where the freestyle leg was also faster than the U.S.'s freestyle leg at uh, World Championships this year, they were only two tenths faster than China was yesterday at the Asian Games. And I don't think Dressel's going to go 49-0. And we talk about breaststroke 
being faster, Nick Fink's breaststroke being faster than Michael Andrew. But Nick Fink is also sort of on in the latter half of his career. I'm not really sure if he's going to be in the 57 form that he was in a year ago. And China just has a lot of room for improvement. Wang, Ying, uh, Ching, Ying, Ying. Out. Ying, if you put a 49-0 Dressel on the American Relay, they're going 326-20 based on Worlds. A 49-5 Butterfly puts them three-tenths ahead of China based on their Worlds times. Yeah, but they're but I think China can be faster than what they went at the Asian Games. Chin Haiyang wasn't he was pretty close to his flat start time. I think he can be faster. He went 57-2 on this mixed relay. So if he goes 57-2, 57-2, that puts China at 326, 326-6. And Pan is relatively young. He can get better and better. Wang Chenghao, he dropped over a second off of his world's split. He's on an upward trajectory. I just think China has a lot more upward momentum versus a U.S. team that's heavily dependent on one guy who hasn't swam at a hasn't finished a major international meet since the Tokyo Olympics. I, I got to disagree with head. you there. Uh, I think we haven't seen China, th- this Chinese squad do it on an international stage like they did. So I personally do not think that on paper, sure, they can go faster than they did at these Asian games. But like home territory, I, I don't think they're going to go faster than they did today. They also won that race by five seconds. So like they had clean water the whole way through and like very little pressure on them uh, from other swimmers you know I think if I think Dare can be 49.5 next year uh, so I like I don't I honestly I don't think we need Caleb to be back in his form because Dare was 50.1 and I do see him his trajectory keep continuing to improve this year um, I think the U.S. is just consistent no matter what even if nick fink isn't on his game even if ryan murphy isn't isn't on his game we have like three other backstrokers that could potentially rise to the occasion um and you know we have other freestylers who could also rise to the occasion so i just think from that perspective if one of china's legs is off they're not winning right but if one of our legs is off from like this squad this year at worlds we have someone else who can step up, and I think that level of consistency and depth uh, will – I'm going with U.S. in that regard. All right, next on sink or swim. <laughs> this is just a question. This isn't a sink or swim. Who is your best guess at who Eddie Reese's replacement will be oh. as the head coach of the University of Texas men's swimming and diving team next year after he – retires i am going sergio because i think there's a a certain generation of texas alumni who still dominate that team and i I think when those alumni were at the peak of their careers sergio was the guy and i i think they haven't forgotten that i think it's going to be sergio and i want everybody to remember that texas is in the next six months is probably going to have an NIL collective and that NIL collective is probably going to make this decision. Um, so 
whoever the richest guy is with the strongest opinion will have his way. Okay. I'm not as intertwined in NCA coaching world as Braden is, but I think my guess, my best guess is Wyatt Collins. It seems like he's been preparing to have this position for a few years now, more than a few years. And yes, it's the whole thing with the AD maybe wanting to hire a bigger name than an assistant, but I don't know. It just seems like he knows Texas the best and has the experience. And it just it just makes a lot of logical sense. But I was reading the article yesterday on who could potentially replace Eddie Weiss. And I think the mention of Todd DeSorbo is really interesting because he has the same mindset as Texas with sort of making dual meets more interesting. He has that hype. And also when you think about his swimmers right now that have potential to have pretty good pro careers, like Kate Douglas, the Walsh sisters, I think Austin's a much more viable place to be a pro and like live there long-term than Charlottesville is considering that it's a college town and UVA doesn't really accept pros that don't did a swim for the college. But I think what he lacks is a, really elite track history with the Virginia men. So I don't think it's going to be him, but it's definitely, he was definitely one that I was thinking about. I thought it was interesting that he was in the conversation, but that that's my take on it. Mm. And good, good takes. I think, uh, I feel like the, the rumor, uh, on deck has been Braden Holloway. You know, he's, he's been seen at Texas. And so I'm going to say, well, I don't believe it. I don't think Braden would leave NC State right oh, now with inside the state. Info. Well, that that's just what I haven't seen him in Texas. I have heard people have seen him on deck at Texas, but uh, I've also I Braden with the state of NC State men right now versus the state of Texas men right now, and Braden Holloway is an alum at NC State. Like I feel like they have a, a legitimate shot. To, at a title in the next three to five years sorry in the next one to three years and I don't think he would give that up for like how much he's built up that program for Texas but it but he could but I I, I hope he doesn't um man 600 so grand 600 grand can make you feel a lot of things Six hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> could make you Make you feel a lot of ways about a lot of things. <laughs> that's very, that's, I know, that's I don't think, true. you know, half a million from the athletic department and a hundred grand from the swim camps and maybe the NIL folks kicking another hundred grand. Like, I don't know, man, I'd want to win. I'd want to win an, an NCAA title at the program I built from the ground up, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of something. That's a lot of yeah. nice nights out on sixth street. <laughs> and I think if Braden Holloway leaves NC State, that head coach search to be the NC State coach, that's also going to be a very lucrative position that we're all going to be talking about, like with the Texas coaching position. So I don't know, one thing is going to lead to another, and there's going to be a whole lot of discourse. Lucrative in a different way, because they have ACC yeah. money. They don't have SCC yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Braden Holloway could open a bar on, on 6th Street. Imagine having Holloways on 6th Street where they've just <laughs> air swimming all night long. 
like I don't know, man. Swimming being played in bars, you're really funny, Brayden. That's, that's <laughs> if it's owned by a swim coach, that's, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of racks, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I I yeah that's that's my there's my take, uh, Braden Holloway, next because I think last time this happened, the rumor was that they wanted Wyatt to be a head coach, but the AD did not want that. He wanted he wanted kind of a, a bona fide head coach, someone who had already been head coach, even though um, by all accounts, Wyatt does a lot uh, for that team already. And, you know, it's kind of, it, it, it's a little more his team than maybe most associate head coaches in, in a similar position. But I guess we'll see after this coming year. That's the Swim Swam Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in. and We will see you next time.